Amen. Just in case you're wondering what happened to us there for a minute. Uh, if you've been here for the last two or three services, uh, we know that when the rooster crowed, it signaled the dawning of a new day. Amen. And we are trying to remind every one of you yes. that no matter what your condition is today, yes. there is a better conclusion for you. Yes. Amen. Amen. And today may just be the beginning of that new day for you. So we want to constantly keep you in remembrance that the cock has crowed and a new day has dawned. And therefore, your situation must change. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. So quickly this morning, let's just get right into the word in Romans chapter 5. We're going to start from there this morning. And again, I want to encourage everyone, please. Don't take for granted those 10 a.m. prayer times. Those of us that were here this morning, we've already had service. There's no question about it. God has spoken. He has spoken loud and clear. Amen? So I just want to encourage you, just press through and be here and let's be a part of a great time in the presence of God. Romans chapter 5 this morning, and I thought and thought and prayed I said, God, what will be the appropriate title for what I'm about to share this morning? And really, this is all, this is all part of the message that began in November about entering into the rest of God. And as I told you, New Year's Eve is going to be a theme for the whole year. So everything we are saying and doing is all moving in one great direction to bring everyone to the place where we can receive, accept the finished work of God in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. So this morning, uh, I'm going to title this message, The Incomparable Last Adam. Incomparable. Incomparable. In Isaiah chapter 40, God was asking the question, what can you compare me with? They couldn't answer. So in Isaiah 46, he asked the same question. Who do you think I resemble? What can you... In fact, give me Isaiah 46 in Message Bible. Pastor Nee's translation of of the Bible is is becoming very popular. Isaiah 46, give it to me in Message. As we get into this thing this morning. Isaiah 46 verse 5 in a Message translation. Coming, coming, here it is. Look at what it says. So to whom will you compare me? The incomparable. That's what God calls himself. Can you picture me without reducing me? That's our problem. Go on. People with a lot of money hire craftsmen to make them gods. I saw this first time in, in, in Thailand. You can buy any god you want, any size. Small, Medium, large, extra large. The artisan delivers the God and they kneel and worship it. Go on. They carry it around in holy parades. Then they take it home and put it on the shelf and there it sits. Day in and day out. A dependable God. Always right where you put it. <laughs> Say anything you want to it. It never talks back. Of course. It never does anything either. Yes. Let me look at one more verse. Is that it? Okay, that's enough. That's enough. So this morning, I want to use the subject, incomparable last Adam. Because after thinking and knowing and trying to grasp what Jesus has done for us, I find nothing or no one that remotely even come close to comparing him with. The more I read, the more I study, the more I understand that Jesus and Moses don't belong in the same room. As great as Moses was. Elijah, Elisha, all of them put together, wrapped around, taped, 
cannot be in the same room with him. That's how great he is. And I pray that God will, will write in the tablet of our hearts the greatness of who Jesus is and what he wants to be in your life and my life as a result. So Romans chapter 5. The incomparable last Adam. Actually, I can read the whole chapter. But I will not do so. Because I know your food is cooking at home. And you have to go. So we can just begin from verse 12. And please, I encourage you, read the whole chapter. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from, the off- from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So we can just stop right there. You know, as I read through this and uh, looked at the scriptures, Beginning from that verse 12, many things is being said to us. And I want to take the time this morning to just look at the highlights of what's being said to us in the passage I just read. We are told in verse 12 that, uh, let me read it again. Just as one man's sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Now. I think it's very, very important this morning for us to go right back to that beginning. Because here in chapter 5, Paul is contrasting the first Adam and the last Adam. And he's telling us that through one man, sin entered into the world. Now, I think most of us understand that, most of us know that, but I don't think most of us comprehend it. So I think it's important to go back to see how sin entered the world and through sin, death to begin to understand what this incomparable last Adam overcame for us. So in order to understand that, let's go back to the very beginning where it happened. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 3. Now, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. 
nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now please pay attention to the next two verses. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took off his food and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, can I submit to us from the very beginning here? There is motivation to eat the fruit was not out of an evil desire. Ooh, I can just see quiet. Her motivation for eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not born out of an evil desire. Now, she was wrong nonetheless. But when you read the text and read it properly, several things become very obvious. Number one, Eve wanted to avoid evil and to do good. Number two, she wanted to pursue a form of godliness. Number three, she wanted to make an attempt to be like God. All of this, what I'm saying is in the text. Number four, the serpent lured them, in particular Eve, and the goal that the serpent dazzled before her was what? That you'll be like God. Something that was worthy then of pursuit and is worthy of pursuit today. Amen. Isn't that why we're all in this? Yes. Wanting to be transformed to the image and likeness of God and be like God. For he called them gods unto whom the word of God came. John chapter 6. Are you following me? <laughs> in short, they wanted to do what God does. Being able to make choices on their own and having to have the ability to dictate evil and goodness. It is important that you understand this because this is the crux of the matter. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 14, Paul comes and gives us a commentary. He said, Adam was not deceived. He said, but Eve was. Notice what Paul said. He said she was deceived. What was he referring to about Eve being deceived? Eve was deceived because everything she was looking to accomplish, everything she was trying to be, was already be. She was trying to be like God. She already was. She was created in the image and likeness of God. She already had what she was looking for. She was trying to be able to design good and evil. She already had the ability to do so. How do I know? Because when God created the animals, he brought them all to parade before Adam and said, Adam, Please. <laughs> he said, Adam, name them. And one by one, Adam began to give names to every animal. Why? Because goodness was already in him. Ability to discern evil was already in him. He named every last one of them. And God said, yep, you've done it. Why? You can represent me. You have made in my image and likeness. So they were trying to be something they already were. You need to understand this sin. You need to understand it because if you don't, you will not understand salvation. By direct instruction, you don't do this. 
And by so doing, it became law to Adam and Eve. There was no law to anybody else because in fact there was nobody else around them anyway. But because he had spoken it directly to them, it was law. And when they contravened, sin was imputed. That's important. Because that law that was given them was just to Adam and Eve. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It did not cover Abel and Cain. It did not cover Lamech. For Cain and Abel and Lamech and the rest of that generation, there was still no law. Okay, let, let, let me, let's, I'll let just, that will percolate a little bit, let me. So now from this verse 12, we see number one, sin entered. And as a result of sin, number two, death entered through sin. I'm giving you the highlights of the passage I just read. Number one, death, I mean sin entered into the world. It entered when Adam and Eve disobeyed a direct order. But keep in mind, the reason for which they did what they did. The enemy tried to sell them something they already had. Now, that is, that is, that is amazing. That is amazing. That the devil sold them something that was already in their position that they had manifested. And they bought it. They bought it. Sin entered into the world and through sin, death entered. And when death entered, that's where sickness, poverty, all the host of those things entered with it. You need to understand that. Because the same fit it takes to come out of death into life is what it takes to get out of sickness, out of poverty, and everything else. You must understand that. So number one, sin entered the world. Number two, death entered through sin. Number three, in that verse 12 again, that death spread to all men. This is important we get that. Number four, and I'm moving quickly here because I'm going to take the time to say a lot about certain of one of these uh, highlights. Number four, again, in verse 12, all sinned. Now, let me, let me just take a moment here to explain that very well. Again, number one, sin entered the world. Number two, death through sin. Number three, we are told that death, uh, that death spread to all men. All men. And number four, all sinned. This is very important. When, when Tony was younger, she would ask me this question. As a young person, what, what have I done for which I need to be born again? What, what sin did I commit? Legitimate question. Valid. Young people. Valid question. You are young. You have not smoked dope. You, you are not uh, in gang violence. You are not in immorality and all of the things we know. So it begs the question. Why should a young person be condemned to death when they have not done anything per se? This is the genesis of it. Sin entered the world. Death came through sin. That death spread to all men. According to God, all men sinned. Why? Let me explain that to you, young people. When Adam and Eve were created, they were made in the image and likeness of God. They received God's DNA, if you will. But in Genesis chapter 5, in verse 3, after the fall of Adam and Eve, the Bible said they began to have children. Genesis 5, 3. And the children were made in the image and likeness of Adam. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own what? Likeness. After his what? Image. Not God's likeness. Not God's image. So every person that was born since Adam was in the image of Adam yes. and his likeness. Oh, <laughs> and by extension, because Adam was a fallen man, and a fallen man gives birth to men and children, and therefore consequently passed to them his fallen DNA. 
Young people, that's why all have sinned. Amen. Young and old. Not because you smoke pipe. Not because you got drunk. Not because you got into immorality. That has nothing to do with that. Those acts come as a result of our being. Are you following me? All sinned. It's not a matter of you having a choice in it or you, 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 you elected to do something. It's not what you did. It's who you are. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 45 through 49, I will not read it, but I'll just give it a paraphrase because of time here. Paul was speaking. He said, as we have born the image of the earthly, the first Adam, even so, we will bear the image of the heavenly, the last Adam. Amen? No one recognizes more than David himself. Psalm 51. When he made the announcement. He understood that he was conceived in iniquity. And he was brought forth in sin. So we see that clearly in the scripture. So I'm saying this to say, listen, it's not so much what you do that makes a person a sinner. People sin because of who they are. It sounds simple, but if you don't grasp that, you will not grab the next one. If you don't grab that, you will not grab the next one. You don't go to school to teach a dog to bark. A dog barks. That's who he is. You don't have to take a snake to a, to a special zoo to learn how to crawl on his, soft, on, his, on his belly. That's what snakes do. So a man or a woman whose nature has not been changed will automatically sin. That's what they do. Because of who they are. Alright. Let me keep on moving. Verse 13. This is very serious. Romans 5.13. The Bible tells us that sin was not imputed in the absence of the law. In other words, if God never warned Adam and Eve, don't take of this fruit. Even though God didn't like it, even though they would have been deceived in what they did, it would not have been sin. But more importantly, to bring this home to us, to help us understand that sin is only imputed where there is law. Let's read the story of Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel. And I'm collecting many more dollars, by the way. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, we have, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cast from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. On and on and on and on and on. Let me see what verse I want to... Okay. Uh, verse 14. Surely you have driven me out of this, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Look at what God says to him in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. What? God himself, in the absence of law, placed Cain, a murderer, in protective custody. Why? There was no law. Am I encouraging to go murder somebody? You, you, you try it. There is law here in Georgia. I'm just trying to show you the progression of dispensations. When Hebrews 5.13 says, where there is no law, sin is not imputed. I'm trying to show that to you in the scriptures. This man just killed his own brother. Had a debate with God. And God, they went through the entire debate and conversation and God said, you know what? 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to do something so that nobody can find you to kill you. The same God that came back under the law and said, a tat for a tat. Here there was no law. Let's watch the progression. Let's look at verse 23 of that same chapter 4. Ah, look at verse 23. Then Lamech said to his wives, look at this. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me. Even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. What's going on? Lamech is boasting about his murderous act in the absence of the law. He's saying if God protected Cain seven times, surely for me, he'd do it seventy times seven. It's madness. It is madness. But I am showing you the veracity of the scriptures. We need to stop arguing with the word of God, but just take it as it is. I don't know why God did that. I don't understand that. If it was my creation, I probably would not do, say, do that. But here, he's an all-wise God. Now you can appreciate why when Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 went into Egypt and knew that Egyptians would zero in on his wife. He said to Sarah, I'm going to lie, I'm going to tell them you're my sister to save myself from, from being killed. He went in, lied. God dealt with the wicked king, never said a word to Abraham about what he did. Hello? Oh, pastor is telling me to go out and lie. You are lying. Because you have a greater law written on the inside of you now. I'm just trying to show you from scriptures when Romans 5.13 says, where there is no law, sin was not imputed. So in this manner, in these cases, sin was not imputed to this man because God had no law governing him at that time. Romans 3, 19, 20, I'm not going to read it, tells us that, that the law helps to reveal sin. Next, next, next point I want to make. In verse 14, Romans 5, 14, death reigned over even those who had not lived is unlike the offense. In what way, you ask? Very simple. In the offense, you and I had no choice. The only qualification was being born. But in the free gift, you have the exercise, the voluntary exercise of your faith to receive it and believe it. That's the difference. That's the difference. In the offense, there was no choice. In this free gift that God is giving, free, totally free, absolutely free, Cost you nothing. It's only by the exercising in a voluntary way your faith and then you receive it. That's the difference. Now, verses 16 and verse 18. The Bible tells us that judgment came resulting in condemnation. Judgment came resulting in condemnation. Because of what the first Adam did. However, now, the free gift results in justification. Being justified. Totally, completely declared non-guilty. Oh my goodness. You have no idea what it means what liberation it brings, what appreciation to the last Adam to know that I was condemned just like that man or that woman in a death row waiting for the day of his execution, already condemned. But through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, this last Adam, he came in there 
and he said, okay, I know he's condemned, but you put that condemnation on me, I will pay the price and fulfill the righteousness of the law. I'll complete it fully and put it all on me, put it to my charge, my God, and as a result, God can kill two people for the same offense. Since Jesus has died for it and the wrath of God was poured upon him, this incomparable last Adam has exonerated me, cleared me of all guilt and therefore now not under any condemnation you can't put the guilt on me any longer you can't put the shame on me any longer my Lord Jesus who loved me, who has called me with a holy calling from before the foundation of the world, he has paid the price in full and he said not only will I pay it, I am with you all the way to the end of the ages, I have justified you by my blood you are justified and nothing can remove that justification is a done deal. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. 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 Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Paid the price in full satisfied all the demands of heaven all the judgment of God satisfied and thereby appeasing the wrath of God now I know God is no longer mad with me God is no longer angry with me God loves me hallelujah and there is nothing the devil can do about it not a thing not a thing Justified. Look at verse 17. Romans 5 17. The Bible says, as a result of this justification, not only am I justified, discharged, acquitted, freed, I now receive, the Bible says, abundance of grace. Unmerited unearned, undeserved favor. The day I become justified, my friend, in my justification account was credited what the Bible calls abundance of grace. Credit to your account. As if that was not sufficient, he goes on to say, also with that abundance of grace, he gives you the free gift of righteousness. Oh my God. I need to say it on this for a minute. It's not saying bank you are perfect. Mm-mm. It's not saying bank you are blameless. No. But I've given you a free gift. The righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus placed in my account. Therefore when God looks at me, he's not looking at my performance. He's not looking at my ability. He's not looking at what I've done. He's not looking at what I've not done. He looks at his son. Say, Jesus... Did you not do this? Yes, sir. I did it. It's paid for in full. He has been taken care of. That's it. My God, my God. Oh, my God. Give me Romans chapter 8 in the Message Bible from verse 31. Free gift. Of righteousness. Wait a minute. If I have to earn it, will it be free? How can we argue with the scriptures? The Bible says what? It's a free gift of righteousness. Free! Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Even my wife is giving me a dollar. Free gift of righteousness. It's free! If I have to earn it, it's no longer free. And I keep on saying this because many of us are like hybrid cars. The one that Clark Howard talks about every day. What do I mean by hybrid? A car that burns gasoline and electric. Operating on two systems. When there's traffic jam, electric is on. But when you're on the highway, full blast, gasoline is on. So constantly the hybrid cars 
operate on two systems. Many believers can't make up their minds. We are operating on a hybrid system that the kingdom never validated. Some days we are in the new covenant. Glory to God. I'm blessed by God. On other days, you are in the old covenant. Two systems. Which one are you in? Because if you have been freed by the spirit of God, the Bible says you are no longer under the law. You can't be in both. And we'll deal with that much later in a very in-depth way. But just suffice it to say, many of our churches, many of us, even me that speak before you, until recently, I was vacillating between hybrid system, the old and the new, the old and the new. But I declare before you today, the cock has crowed. And a new day has dawned. I'm not going back to the old. No, sir. No, 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 no. And I'm going to show you something in a moment. I'm going to show you something in a moment that will blow you out of the sky. No. You cannot do that. That's why we're not getting results. That's why we're still bound. That's why we cannot have victory. Because you are trying to deal in a new covenant economy using the old covenant methods. It will work for Moses, but not for you. Free gift. It's free. Jesus paid the price, you get a gift. That's why he says you are what? More than conqueror. He did the work, you get the benefit. You are more than what? Conqueror. Look at what it says, Romans 8. Verse 31. Message, thank you. So, what do you think? Pastor Shina started this this morning. Yes. With God on our side, like this, how can we lose? Wait a minute. I'm going to take it a little further. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to anoint some people now. I'm going to establish some of you. Then I'm going to challenge others of you. I want to press that envelope a little further. So, what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can you lose your salvation? Give me the next verse. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Go to the next verse. And who will dare tangle with God by messing with one of his chosen? Are you chosen? Is there anybody here that's chosen? I'm not hearing you. Are you chosen by God? Please, next verse. Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Next verse. Do you think Anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? No way. There is no way. He answers you. Look at what he says. Not trouble. Not hard times. Not hatred. Not hunger. Not homelessness. Not bullying threats. Not backstabbing. Oh, no. Look at this one. This one will be a misprint. Not even. The worst sins listed in scripture. What else? What else? What else? Our 
our problem is we do not understand the free gift. Now, I'm coming back later to address this issue of sin, nature, and all those things. We can't do everything in one service. So you understand that? You understand that? There are a lot of things to cover. It's going to take a whole year. But at least you need to be established in certain basic fundamentals. Because if you are not, you are going back and forth and back and forth. You are safe today, you are not safe tomorrow. You are safe today, you are not safe tomorrow. You are safe. So you cannot make progress. That's just what the enemy ordered. That's because you do not know this incomparable last Adam, the king of kings, the most high priest, the one who, like me and you, went through everything you and I are going through, and yet it was without sin. That's why Hebrews 4, 16 said, now you can come boldly to the throne of grace to find and obtain grace and mercy in your time of need. I'm about, listen, I'm about to have a fit because you are not understanding something. The Bible says Jesus now lives forever to make intercession. Yes. Who is he praying for? for me. If God answered his prayer when he was on the earth, will God answer his prayer while he's with God now in heaven? Yes. Ah, pastor, you are stretching this grace message. You are really stretching it now. You are really giving people license to go and sin. Really? Think about it. You need my license to sin? When was the last time anybody called me? Pastor, I'm about to go and fornicate. What, what shall I do? You can look at my cell phone, listen to my voicemails. Nobody ever left such messages. Nobody. But let me tell you the flip side. Just so you can help your sanity. You see, our problem is we don't understand grace. We reduce grace to mercy. Let me me tell you the distinction. And they are cousins. And they overlap. It's true. I'm condemned to death. But God, the judge, had mercy on me. And commuted my sentence. That's mercy. That's mercy at work. Say that again, sir. Even though it's part of grace. I'm condemned to death. Yes. But God, the judge, communed yes. the death sentence. Yes. Reversed and said, you know what? You will not die. Yes. Yes. I put you on probation. I free you. You are free. You are discharged. Yes. Yes. That's the highest form of mercy and the lowest form of grace. Did you hear what I just said? That's the highest form of mercy but the lowest form of grace. You see, grace is not just to remedy my sins. Grace is to cure my sins. Pastor, how do you know that? I'll give you the scripture. Titus chapter 2. Listen, I will not speak to you outside of scripture. If you want to fight, fight the Bible. That's my pastor. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to what? Amen. What does he do? What does grace come to do? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So grace is not just to remedy my sin, it came to cure my sin. We can't get into all of that today in one service, but I'm telling you there's a lot more. Grace is not just sloppy, agape, say, well, you see, pastor, I I cannot lose my salvation, so now I can go and marry nine wives. No! No! That's not what we're saying. I'm saying to you, when you embrace the grace message, it will teach you some things. It will tell you to shun worldly lust, to live godly, to live righteously. But it's not just going to be a lot. I say that shall not kill. That shall not stay. No, no, no. It will be God in you, teaching you how to do it, guiding you how to do it, enabling you how to do it. He will tell you what to do, and then he will do it in and through you. That's the difference. That's the huge difference. The Lord just said, thou shalt not kill. 
but it has no ability to stop you. But God says, my grace, I won't have to tell you, don't kill. It won't get that far. I'll be in you, teaching you, making you, enabling you not to have to go there. That's the difference. That's what grace is all about. So it's not just camping on the lowest rung of grace. Death sentence communed. And that is true, it's communed. But the other side of that grace is it teaches you something. It places the heart of God inside you. It enables you to do what the law could never do. I don't know about you. I do not want to live apart from grace. And it's not as hard as you think. I'm telling you. But anyway, let me finish this message. If you think you can lose your righteousness, go ahead and have a good, a good day. I'm not, listen, I'm, this is not a fight. If you believe you can lose it, have at it. Put it in FedEx package, mail it away to someone. Lose it. I'm just telling you, as for me, and my house, based upon the word of God, based upon what, about what God has done and written, I am guaranteed eternal assurance. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh my God. Do I have somebody that can sing it here? Hallelujah. Of glory to God. Yes. Yes. Spirit. Oh, this is my story. This is my song. Raising my This is my story. This is my song. Raising my Savior on the hill. One more time, one more time, one more time, one more time. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, for Amen. 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 I, I need to finish the message. So let So that's maybe we we'll sing the second stanza after the message is all finished. Just give me a few more minutes really because so I don't have to come back and and, and and finish this. Let me just finish it now. Just give me a few more minutes here. So we know that judgment came resulting in condemnation and whereas the free gift results in justification. We know that we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And in that verse 17, it says, we will reign through Jesus. Now, last point here, which is number 10, in verse 19, it says, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Therefore, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. This is, this is huge. Huge. By one man's disobedience, First of them, thank you. People were made. Now, Chevrolet Camaro, that GM is, uh, Ford is making. Who, who makes G, uh, Chevrolet? Ford, uh, GM. GM. Yes, sir. When they're making the Camaro, can the Camaro talk back to GM? No, sir. The manufactured what? It makes it. Yes. And when the thing is made, it's made, you can drive it. Yes. The Bible says, by Adam's sin, you and I, before salvation, we had no choice. We were made. Yes. 
And for all of us, it's so simple. We understood that one. We just explained it. Adam's DNA was in us. We were made sinners. End of story. And since that day, everyone has been born again. Now, just as through the disobedience of one, we were all made sinners. The Bible is saying by the obedience of one, many will be what? Made righteous. Through the last Adam. Did you have anything to do with the first making when you became sinner? So when you're going to be made righteous, what do you have to do? Nothing, sir. Nothing. So why are we fighting what God has already done? I don't know, sir. <laughs> let, 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 let me press the question further. What did you and I do to earn or deserve being born again? We were just made righteous. So after you become righteous, what are you doing to keep your righteousness? This is our issue. We understand that birth determines your being. Whether the physical birth making a person a sinner or the rebirth making a person a saint. We understand that by birth your being is determined. Am I, is, that, is that too deep? By your first birth, you became a sinner. By your rebirth, you became a saint or a righteous person. In both cases, you didn't do anything. It was conferred on you once you believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, after you've believed, Paul asked the Galatians, how are you saved? Was it by faith or by your works? Having been saved by the Spirit, why do you go back and think you can contain, continue rather, and sustain your being born again by your works? Your rules, laws, regulations, Sabbaths, moons, the whole nine yards. Oh. Maybe this will help us. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? No, no, no. We're laughing. We're laughing. I'm asking a very serious question. I'm asking a very serious question. When I came to this earth, how many sins did it take for me to be a sinner? Ah, my goodness. Who took my dollars? You are right. What are you are correct? None. No sin. Just by virtue of being born, I was a sinner. By the virtue of being reborn and made a saint or righteous, why am I struggling? Would the Father God has finished it? Why? Because the human mind would rather believe a lie than the truth. Oh, absolutely. We rather believe the negative any day yes. than the positive. This is the essence of the gospel. The good news. It is so good we cannot believe it. Because we've been programmed for so long. Don't trust him. Don't trust her. Ah, be suspicious. Maybe there may be something there. There There will be no other covenant. This is it. God is never going to repent of his love for us. It's not going to happen. Thank God. This is it. This is it. This is it. We presume that we must do something in order to be something. That's a lie. You don't have to do nothing. And I know many of us are scratching our head. I don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do anything. We further presume that doing precedes being. So we conclude that people become sinners or become saints by doing things that sinners or saints do. Let me just end it with this. The knowledge of good and evil 
which is the law, or human effort cannot save anyone nor any set of rules. This is the punchline. Even Jesus, who the Bible tells us clearly was born under the law, came under the law. Did you know that if Jesus faced Moses, he would have been disqualified? If Moses examined Jesus, you will have disqualified him. Why? Ezra chapter 2 verse 62 said they disqualified people from the genealogy whose names were not found in the priesthood. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, not Levi. So according to the law, Jesus would not have been qualified to be a priest for me and you. That's how inadequate the law was. That even Jesus, because he was not of the tribe of Levi, he said, from Judah, would have been disqualified. That's the law you want to embrace? I want to close now. My friend, for anyone who has not been born from above, who does not have the rebirth. I said to you, no one can be saved by the knowledge of good and evil, your human efforts, and all the policies and rules that we fulfill. All of us before Christ were dead. Yes. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, he said we are dead in our trespasses. Yes. Dead. Dead men walking. Let me paint the picture for you here as we close. You were walking by and you saw a man lying on the floor. Obviously had, just had a heart attack. Dead. Maybe you are a nutritionist or you are a doctor's physician like a, a tornado and you say, ah, this man is dead. And you made it run to him and opened the book of knowledge, of dieting. Heart. How to eat healthy for your heart. Chapter 1. Man, you need to eat fiber. You need to eat less cholesterol. Eat less carbohydrate. Will that resurrect the man? <laughs> a man that's dead. You are now recounting to him the knowledge that you have. Laws that will perhaps, if he did, will, eat, will, will live better. Would that help him? No, sir. It's a dead man. The only thing that can help a dead man is the infusion of life. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. He is the only one that can replace the DNA of Adam. That is in us. He exchanged it totally. He took it away and placed it in there. You and I, as born again believers, are partaking in the divine nature, not the human Adamic nature. I don't have it. Yes. Ah. That's why Paul says, if any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's exactly what this last Adam came to do. He came to do surgery. He came to remove and replace. Yes. He didn't come to mend. No, 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 no. He destroyed that one and put a new one in there. That's what he did. That's why it's so incomparable. There is nothing or no one you can ever compare him with. He replaced that old Adamic nature in you and put his own nature inside of you. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. And so now he says in John chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own received him out. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. Not born according to the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. 
This born again experience we're talking about, you cannot inherit it from your father or your grandfather. Because your grandfather, your father, because they were good people, they were in a, uh, in a Methodist church, you were in an Anglican church somewhere, and because you used to go to church when you were young with them, and therefore you... No! Not by blood. Nor by in physical inheritance. It's not possible. That's what they say. I talk to people all the time. They say, well, you know, I was born in a Christian home. That does not make you jack. <laughs> it doesn't. So it's not by blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, you just cannot write on your calendar. December 15 of 2014, I'm going to get born again. I'm just going to, yeah, I'll plan it. Next month, next year, by December, I'll be born again. Will of the flesh. No. No. It's not something you plan. It's not of the blood. It's not of the flesh. And it's definitely not of the will of man. In other words, no one can talk into it. I can't talk into it. Jesus can't talk into it. It must be a work and operation of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You cannot say because I was born and raised in church and therefore I'm born again. It's not going to happen. You must come to the place where Jesus stuck on your heart and you respond. And so let's just bow our heads for a minute now. There may be some people here today you've presumed being born again by virtue of proximity. Maybe you've been raised in church. Your parents have been Christians all your life. And therefore you've presumed that because of so that you are born again. It cannot be of blood. Definitely cannot be the will of the flesh. It's not something you just predetermine that you're going to do and then you say, oh, I did it. And it cannot be the will of man. If you are here today, under the sound of my voice, you say, Pastor, I want to partake of that divine nature. I want Jesus Christ, the last Adam, who has freely granted unto me forgiveness of sins before I was even ever born. I want to acknowledge that now and I want to receive the forgiveness of the sins by believing on his name. I want to make a commitment to believe on his name. If that is you, I'll be so glad to pray with you right now. Is there anybody here today say, you know, Pastor, I want to make that move. Is there anybody here today? If you are, can I just see your hand? I want to pray with you. You've been born in the physical. Now, in order for you to be, receive the free gift of righteousness, you must be born from above. Thank you for that hand. Is there anybody else? Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm going to wait a moment. I don't want to rush this. This is what this is all about this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. This was the reason for which you sent your son. This was the reason for which Jesus hung on that cross. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. He's drawing right now. Don't resist him. Don't struggle with him. If he's nudging you on your heart, to call on his name and to believe on his name. Just freely give yourself to him. Let him finish what he has begun. Thank you for the hands I already see. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Those of you that's near, those who raise your hands, uh, Dr. Norfolk, if you just held hand ivory for me here, and Pastor Shina, if you just hand it the person right next to you there, just lead them in a simple prayer. Help them affirm what God has already done in them. God has done it already. As human beings, we're just affirming it. We are blessing God for it. We are thanking God for it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not leave us damned. You did not leave, leave us condemned. You did not leave us to go to hell. But you led us. You led us captive out of hell to give us a place, an inheritance in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. We receive that love now. We embrace your love and we thank you for it. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, for continuing to open the eyes of our understanding. Thank you, Father God. Lord, likewise, as you delivered us from the power of sin and death, even though you've delivered us from sickness and poverty, and Lord, I pray for every man and every woman who is challenged 
in any of those areas, struggling in their finance, struggling in their body, struggling in their emotions, struggling one way or the other. It was the same cure that cured all of it. And so, Lord, we receive now the manifestation of your goodness to your people. In the name of Jesus, we thank you that our poverty has been taken away. We are now rich in Christ Jesus. We have our needs met beyond and above that which we can think or ask because of the work of God that's working in us. Thank you, Father God. We receive it now. We receive healing in our bodies. Healings for which you pay the price. We receive the manifestation now in the name of Jesus from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We receive wholeness and wellness in the name of Jesus. Thank you for touching us. Thank you for making us whole. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Father God, this week as we go out, I think that every man and every woman here is a candidate for your favor. Favor in a marketplace. Favor on our jobs. Favor everywhere we go. In the name of Jesus, let that grace of God that has been given to us abundantly, let it be manifest even from tonight. In the name of Jesus, open doors before us. Doors that no man can shut. In the name of Jesus, we receive it. We bless you for it. We thank you for the testimonies of the powerful, wonderful deliverances in our behalf to the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus, we give you the glory. We give you the praise. We bless you now. Father God, you are a great God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.